What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and I'm happy to be joined with ESPN staff writer, June Lee. June, thanks for coming on. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. So today, I really want to focus on your story um, as you've, you've grown into you know this role, a pretty prominent role in most sports writers' minds. I mean, it's many people's dreams to be working at ESPN. I'm grateful that you can you know, sit down with us and, and talk a little bit about how you got to that point. So sure. starting off, obviously, you know, where it all begins. Um, can you walk us through, you know, where you grew up and how early sports had an impact on your life? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up uh, in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is kind of the first suburb right outside of Boston. And, um, you know, because I grew up in Boston, you know, I was born in 1995. And so, like, I the, the, the first baseball team that I ever followed, the first sports team that I ever followed was the 2003 Red Sox, which okay. is the year Aaron Boone hit, hit, hit the uh, hit the walk-off home run in the ALCS. And, you know, from that point on, I was kind of hooked on sports and baseball and everything kind of New England sports-related. So I grew up in the golden era of Boston sports. So I saw the Red Sox win, uh, you know, all these World Series. I saw the Pats win, you know, the Super Bowls. I saw the Bruins win the Stanley Cup. I've seen the Celtics win the championship, like, it's been kind of a, it was kind of a crazy way to grow up. And so, uh, you know, just there's such a great history of sports journalism and, and tradition of sports journalism coming out of Boston, uh, you know, just from Jackie Mack to Bob Ryan to you know, Will McDonough. There's so many great, amazing sports stars that come out of that city. And I think it's because of just how much uh, Boston cares about sports. And so I, I grew up on those papers and then I, I interned at the Boston Herald when I was um, a sophomore through a senior in high school and so I kind of had an opportunity early on to go into the Red Sox clubhouse and you know see see my favorite not only players that I was fans of at the time but also my my favorite writers the people that I was reading on a day-to-day basis uh, who were covering Red Sox and yeah, I was able to get like a lot of, of, of knowledge and, and and just experience just by being at Family Park transcribing quotes after the games and then from then on, I, I went to Boston University for one year. I worked at the student newspaper there, the Daily Free Press, and I covered women's hockey and softball and uh, some basketball. And uh, I then transferred to Cornell, where uh, I worked on the Cornell Daily Sun. I covered men's men's hockey. I covered football. I covered baseball. And then I also did a lot of freelance kind of blogging on the side. So I, I worked on the SB Nation blog over the Monster, which was kind of the Red Sox team blog that the website had various other small writing jobs as well i worked on like a tech newsletter thing at one point like just some small odd jobs to like get some get some money to to spend in college because like i was a college student who didn't have a ton of money in my bank account Mm -hmm, Um, of course yeah and i know the feeling so uh i interned at wei.com one summer after my freshman year and then i interned at the washington post after my my junior year of college um i spent a summer in spain in between trying to learn spanish and then I got my first job at Bleach Report, basically right out of school on my last day of exams, um, December 2016. I got a job offer uh, to move to New York basically five weeks after, five or six weeks after. And I moved to New York and you know spent two years at Bleach Report. And then I just started ESPN on, uh, on April 1st. So it's about a, a little over a month in now. That's, yeah, that, that's awesome. So... Right out of college, um, you started working at Bleach Report. What what capacity did you have while you were working for them? Yeah, so I was hired as a staff writer for BR Mag and what was called the trending section. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it, w- it was a lot of pieces kind of focusing on stuff that was trending on social and trying to find kind of the deeper story within 
stuff that was trending. So whether it was indicative of bigger picture trends or or you just, you know, get a fun human interest story out of it. So like, for example, when the Pacers traded Paul George, and one Indian, Indianapolis clothing store put all their Paul George merchandise on sale for, like, a, a dime or something. <laughs> I called up the store and, like, asked them what this, you know, why they were doing the sale. And I talked to some Indian and Pacer fans, I think. I, I don't exactly remember, but it was, it was kind of stuff that was trending on the day and trying to find, like, fun, weird angles into things. And then also kind of working on bigger magazine stories at the same time. And so I kind of had, right out of school, it was an incredible opportunity to just conceive was, you know, to kind of following the day-to-day stuff, but also having the opportunity to take big swings if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so as I took more big swings and, you know, things were kind of going well, I would kind of receive more opportunities to take more big swings and kind of shrink my day-to-day role. And so by the end of my time at Bleach Report, I was kind of mainly focusing on magazine stories, which was pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, that that's really cool. And so what was your rationale or mindset um, I mean, obviously, you know, you likely enjoyed your time at Bleacher Report. What made you sure. want to move to ESPN? You know, it was a combination of a lot of things. You know, I absolutely love spending my two years at BR because there's just so many great, smart, amazing people. It's just a really young place to go in and work every single day. You know, people just had energy and enthusiasm and just just like a, a great passion for wanting to work in sports media. And that was really inspiring on a kind of day-to-day basis. But I, I was starting to feel like I wasn't maximizing my potential just, just because of kind of the function of where BR was, you know, is as a company. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to start taking kind of bigger shots. And this opportunity presented itself. And I, I didn't necessarily, like, think a lot about, you know, how would this look on a resume? I was kind of thinking about what opportunity does each job present me? Kind of when I looked at the two things side by side, I was kind of thinking a long-term big picture about my career. The conclusion, after you were talking to a lot of my family and talking to my friends in journalism and outside journalism, the kind of the conclusion that I reached was that the ESPN opportunity presented the best plat- platform and just media outlet for me to grow long term and, and kind of aligned with a lot of the things I'd li- like to do, not just right now, but you know down the road as, as well. Where do you want your career to end up? What would you say, you know what, I've realized everything that I want to do? What would that point be? I've, I kind of stopped setting goals for myself just because like I, I, I didn't want to start, I didn't want to put myself in a place to chase positions. I just kind of wanted to, you know, from kind of moment to moment and also kind of thinking big picture, like what is an opportunity that excites me, mm-hmm. which is a really like great position to be in. And just like an opportunity in a position I'm incredibly fortunate and unbelievably lucky to be in at this stage of my career. And, and so I've been thinking about, I kind of don't want to live with myself. I I want to figure out, you know, I want to become the best writer as I, as I possibly can, but I also, you know, want to start doing some more on air stuff and figuring out, do I have a place there? Do I, do I have a voice there? Do I have something to say there? Um, And then, you know, hopefully doing stuff, maybe that aren't sports related down the road as well. Because, you know, as much as I love and adore sports, like I love music, I love TV. I love all this, you know, a lot of stuff outside of sports that, um, that also captured my interest. So, like, you know, you know, to be frank, like, this is this job at ESPN. You know, being being kind of baseball centric with an ability to write about other stuff has been uh, it was a dream job of me or, that I used to have when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, ex- you know, I didn't even expect to have an opportunity to to have this kind of job at uh, you know I'm about to turn 24. I didn't expect to have this job until you know having even an opportunity until like I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so now it's just like, okay, I accomplished this. I, I, I just stopped dreaming because it's like I, I might as well just kind of pursue what comes next and yeah. what's in front of me right now, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of a long-winded answer to say, just basically say that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. In writing articles for ESPN and Bleacher Report, who are some of the people that you've gotten to interact with, whether um, in the journalism world that you looked up to or uh, in the sports world, the athletes? Oh, man. At this point, like almost a- anyone that I've wanted to, you know, I, I, I really looked up to growing up. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have an opportunity to meet. When I got to ESPN, it was like I, I went down to Seaport Studios, studios one day. And I'd known kind of Bomani and Pablo kind of in passing mm-hmm. just through sports media circles. But, like, they really sat me down and gave me some great advice on my first day. And that was really cool. And then, you know, there's, there's honestly too many people to name. Um, I mean, there's, there's been so many people, even just dating back to when I was in high school, I was, all, I was starstruck by all, so many people just coming up through this industry, you know. Like, one of, one of my biggest mentors right now is uh, – and just it has been through my journalism – um, career so far has been Gordon Eads, uh, who used to be the Red Sox beat writer for ESPN mm-hmm. um, and was the Boston Globe beat writer for the Red Sox for, for many years before that and now is the Red Sox team historian. And, like, he was one of the people that I looked up to an ex- extreme amount growing up through high school. And, you know, he was he kind of took me under his wings and helped me by, you know, putting my name in the right places and, you know, introduced me to the right people and uh, giving me the confidence that I could make a, uh, a living out of this i mean that's someone that i you know really looked up to growing up just professionally from the outside and now mm-hmm. i've gotten to know on a personal level is like you know as a kid you know if you would have told like third grade me that i would get to know gordon needs on that level i would have <laughs> freaked like freaked out i've known gordon for you know six seven years now i'm just continuing to meet more people and it's, it's been crazy i don't know this is a really it's a really small industry and there's a, a lot of a lot of incredible people that I get to have the opportunity to, you know, ask ask what their life is like, and you know, hopefully get a get, get a taste of what their story is like. You know, mm-hmm. we've been introduced to June the sports writer. I want to introduce the listeners of this podcast to June the person. So you mentioned before that you have um, interest in music and TV. So when you're not writing articles, what can we find you doing? So right now, my roommate and I are really into the show Barry on HBO, which is uh, Bill Hader oh. co-created with this guy, mm-hmm. Alec Berg. And I think it's, it's the best show on television um, for my money. I think it's just so creative and inventive and fresh in so many ways. So my roommate and I probably watch each episode of Barry at least twice every single week. And we like talk about it from like a nerdy storytelling perspective. But also just like I think Bill Hader is an incredible talent and just so creative. I just love TV. Uh, and movies. So, I mean, we're trying to we're trying to we watch Pulp Fiction for the first time. Okay. Uh, about a month and a half ago. So okay. like we're we're trying to like roll through some classics. Um, I'm trying to like fill in some gaps. Like I saw Shawshank for the first time recently too. Like there's a lot of weird gaps I have in movies. Uh, and so I trying to trying to fill a bunch of those. I've been getting really into BTS. I I've been like kind of on the outskirts of outskirts looking in for probably about a good three or four years now, just as a Korean person who has mm. known about them for a long time. Yeah. Um, but like recently just got really pulled in and it's like, it's been a, it's been an interesting, just like internet wormhole to dive down. And then, so there's that. And then I, I don't know, I read, I hang out with my friends. I go to the gym. I like to play basketball at the park. I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think now we've, we've gotten to know you well enough. I think we're ready to, to talk some sports. So first things first, 
the thing on everyone's mind is Kawhi Leonard's buzzer beater um, in Game 7, which was the first buzzer beater in Game 7 in NBA playoffs history. So were you able to watch it live, or did you catch the 80,000 highlight clips that were probably running through your Instagram at the end? I caught the highlight clips because I think I was on an Amtrak, so I like I didn't get to see it live, but I was following the highlights on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. So like when I saw that that bucket roll in, I was like, wow, that's it looks like the ending of like a really corny sports movie. The way it just like <laughs> yeah. bounced up mm-hmm. and then rolled around and like it bounced four times or whatever before going in. Like and all the photos that came out of that moment, oh, yeah. like they were just so incredible. And like that's. You know, we talk about the drama of the NBA on a day-to-day basis so much. And, like, at the end of the day, like, that's why I love sports. Like, getting those kind of moments that you could have never even imagined, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and they become these iconic just events. And, you know, people, people, you know, there's so many sports moments where you can ask ask someone, like, oh, where were you? And, like, this felt like one of those moments when you're just like, wow, I can't believe that was a way a uh, playoff series ended. Yeah, no, definitely. My my plane took off with two minutes left in the game, so I didn't know what happened until until I landed. Oh my god! But it was yeah. It, it was very. I mean, I didn't know. You know, there could be an ending that crazy. Like that sounds like something that I would try to do in in two K. You know, just playing and try to to work it so I can get that last shot like that. But um, right, but I feel like even in two K, like you can't even get a. A, a bounce. Like that, that kind of bounce never happens. Well, you know, you, I'm sure they will now. I'm sure they're working on it right now to to figure yeah. out a way to to get those sure. the, those rolls on the rim. But in your mind, I mean, like you said, you've been a sports fan for you know a number of years. Where does this shot rank for you? And you know the 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 greatest shots of all time. Um, you know, it has to be up there. Uh, I, I, you know, I've never been one to like love ranking things against each other because, like, <laughs> I think each moment should stand for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, this is definitely up there um, in terms of stakes. It's not the highest of stakes, like Ray Allen's shot for the Heat. Like that will, for me, be just one of the greatest shots yeah. ever mm-hmm. until the end of time. You know, I don't think it's in that top tier, but like, I would say it's definitely in that second tier with greatest, you know, greatest memorable endings, especially just given the stakes of it all, like Game Seven. You know, but you know, game tied, uh, and and you know, one team one team was going to move on that night. You know, mm-hmm. and that's just an incredible yeah. way to uh, to finish up a series. Yeah, and so I mean, now they'll go on to face the Bucks. So we're down to our four teams: Blazers, Warriors, and then Bucks and Raptors. What's your reason for a team other than the Warriors to be hoisting the trophy at the end of the, the NBA Finals? I mean, I think that the Warriors' biggest threat is Giannis mm-hmm. and the Bucks. Like, the Bucks are incredibly deep, and they're well-coached. Um, this is not the Bucks of uh, the Jason Kidd era. Like, this is this is Giannis on full leash, and people kind of were doubting before the playoffs. Like, can a team led by Giannis, you can really only, you know, his move is dunking over everybody yeah. mm-hmm. at all times. Can, it, can that guy lead a team to a championship, especially in the three ball era. And I think he's kind of showing game by game. Like it's, you know, he's so much better than everyone when it comes to just driving at the rim because of his length and his speed and his athleticism that, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible for, for teams to keep up even with the threes, you know, like mm. he's Giannis is Giannis is shooting nearly 70% from around the rim. Like that's, that is absurd. Yeah. Um, and so, that is the biggest threat. Like, as much as I love the Blazers and I love Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum both, uh, you know, 
Giannis is, is the real threat to the Warriors title. And, and it'll be interesting to see, like, we've kind of begun to start seeing the idea of Giannis of being the next face of the NBA being thrown around. Mm-hmm. And the most absurd part about this is, is that, you know, people were talking about for years about how it would be a while before we saw an athletic specimen like LeBron come along in the NBA again. Yeah. And literally in the form of Giannis, we have gotten someone who's just the next evolution of that, you know, longer yeah. mm-hmm. arms, also after, like also crazy athletic for someone his size, seven foot two, basically, uh, it's it is it is absurd uh, how much that dude has changed the dynamic of the NBA in just a short amount of time, uh, and he wasn't even like a hype dude coming out of college or you know coming out of out of Greece. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Um, this playoffs has kind of been a, a showcase for the less recognized guys. I mean, you look at Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. Uh, you mentioned Giannis, Steph Curry. These are all guys that uh, Clay Thompson. Even we can throw them in there too. That went to mid major, you know, D one schools or Giannis. You know, was overseas, but yet they're the best players on the best teams in the NBA right now. So that's honestly really cool to see. Right. I mean, people talk about the Warriors and how it's unfair that they were all, that they're all playing together. But at the end of the day, the Warriors drafted Draymond, Clay, and Steph. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not in, you know, not at, not in the top five position of the draft. They got Draymond in the second. They got Clay and Steph at the, in the you know first part of the first round, but not in, not in the top five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they built this team from the ground up. And obviously Kevin Durant came around later. Like, they deserve to be in this position. Yeah. We've been sick and tired of the Warriors and just having Steph and Clay and Draymond and KD kind of win every single night. Like, that has gotten annoying for America. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they're in this position because they deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they attracted Kevin Durant to Golden State. Uh, because of this homegrown situation, people forget that you know. As much as this is the, you know, the New York Yankees, the the evil empire of basketball right now, <laughs> they they were they were a homegrown team when they first came up. They were everyone's favorite team that first year that they won the title. Um, and it, you know, it, it, I think that just this whole the whole Warriors run kind of just goes to show how quickly a public perception of a team can just turn on on the dime. Yeah, and one of the things that. I mean, we've seen, especially from, you know, the Warriors without Kevin Durant, is that they don't even necessarily need him. I mean, they took down the Rockets in Game 6 and Game 7, two games that the Rockets probably should have taken, you know, not with the Warriors without their best player. Like, people forget how just how good Steph, Clay, and Draymond and Iggy and Livingston by themselves were good on their own, you know? People forget how ridiculously good that team was. Just adding in Kevin Durant, who is the, you know one of the greatest players of all time, probably top 25 uh, at this point, could end up being even top 10 by the end of his career. You know, you're adding, you're already adding that to an incredible basketball team, like an all-time legendary basketball team. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, that Kevin Durant, uh, it, it kind of tarnishes his legacy coming to the Warriors? Because, I mean, if you look at it, what we thought throughout this whole playoffs is, I mean, it's obvious Kevin Durant's been the best player on that team, scoring the most points, uh, making the most difference in that aspect, but the fact that they they were able to beat the Rockets um, in Game Six and Game Seven with basically only one half of of Stephen Curry, um, do, does Kevin Durant need to do more in order to cement himself as, like you said, that top ten player of all time? I don't think anything more Kevin Durant does in Golden State will affect his legacy because I think if he just stays at Golden State, like people are gonna at least for now have have their opinion on what they think of him. 
I mean, people forget with LeBron when he was in Miami, people hated LeBron. Like everyone loves LeBron now, but people mm-hmm. used to hate LeBron. Yeah. And all it took was two years in Cleveland. Obviously, he won a championship there, and that played a major role in kind of setting the public, uh, just turning the public tide on him in a different direction, and just kind of turning the page. Uh, I I think that's what what Kevin Durant is going to need in order for him to you know, wash off any of the ickiness that people kind of have around him now. Because when he was in Oklahoma City, everyone wanted him to win. Everyone yeah. wanted Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And for that Russ, Russell Westbrook situation, for that uh, Harden situation, all, everyone wanted that to work out. You know, people really turn on KD now because he's playing with uh, the team that always wins. And I think, when, you know, when we look back at Kevin Durant's career in 20 years or whatever, when he's he, when he's – you know, well done. We're going to remember him as one of the best players of the generation because we're going to have highlights. Like, we're, people are going to forget about the... People are going to end up forgetting about, you know, how, how much they hated the Warriors because that's that that's what time does mm, <laughs> for yeah. most people's legacies, you know? Of course, yeah. And so you mentioned that you are a, a Massachusetts native. I'm also... I also grew up um, in Clinton, which is, you know, about an hour outside of Boston. So I was... I grew up a Celtics fan as well. So it was disappointing to see them underperform the entirety of this year and in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Is there a is there a, a quick fix in your mind to getting the Celtics back on track, or is it you know what what needs to happen for the Celtics this offseason? Oh man, I mean, I don't know if I'm like personally qualified to do this. You know, <laughs> the thing that I think is is like is is the, the thing that really stuck out to me about the Celtics this year. Um, both as a fan and as, as someone who's like been around teams before, is like the chemistry was just clearly not there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you know, people 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 love talking about analytics and stuff. And I, I you know analytics are incredibly valuable in terms of you know being able to optimize a team's performance and and you know find hidden gems. But it does not account for kind of the human dynamic that goes into a winning sports team. And there was just problems from day one. And a lot of the problems I thought were created were just self inflicted by Kyrie, mm-hmm. just creating stories out of stuff that nobody was talking about. You know, he committed to the Celtics at the beginning of the season, the signing extension, you know, before the season even began in front of season ticket holders, which he didn't need to do. Um, and, you know, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the year because if Kyrie had never committed at the beginning of the year, people wouldn't have gotten as angry at him when he started wavering in the middle of the season. And that just created a whole other distraction. At the end of the day, like, talent wins in the NBA and – that's that's you know that's the dilemma that I can't solve. That is not my job, thank God. Mm-hmm. Is whether or not the Celtics should give up on Kyrie Irving as this as the centerpiece of their thing. You know, they, if they keep him, I assume they're going to try to try as hard as they can to go out and get Anthony Davis because mm-hmm. that seems like a logical thing to do. I have you know no sourcing on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, or you know, you have Jalen Brown and you have Jason Tatum. Both of them have looked like stars at different points. Uh, do you want to build around those guys? Like, you have to figure out what you want to do because clearly just this current group of guys isn't going to work. Yeah. No, the, one of the things that I've said almost the whole season, which, I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's almost like the Celtics have too much talent, right? I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten made fun of multiple times for saying that, but I feel like it's true. When you have nine starter quality guys, when you have those guys that are... are at that top level, you know, they, some of them, okay, some of them, you, you look at Al Horford, he doesn't need to have the ball all the time to be successful. I mean, he does those little things, Marcus Morris, Marcus Smart, those are other guys like that. But when you get to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and especially Kyrie Irving, 
those guys, I mean, they, they need the ball in order to, to be successful, whether it's, you know, for, for Kyrie driving to the hoop, Jason Tatum going ISO and scoring and that sort of thing. And you can't do that with that many personalities. I also think that, that that also removes responsibility from the player to adapt to a situation because, you know, as much as, as Kyrie is an incredible basketball player, you know, you, at a certain point, like, you can't just, like, you can't just be running every single play on the court, dribbling out the first 12 seconds. Like, mm-hmm. you have to find the balance there. And so I just, I just think that, like, you know, as, as much as there is talent, like, the Warriors have an immense amount of talent. Like, Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala could have been, you know – really like starters or, or incredibly large contributors on the other teams in the NBA, but instead they were able to adapt their skill set to what the Warriors needed out of them. And they sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, that's what a team does. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, for me, like this year, it, it just felt like a lot of guys who wanted to get their shots up. And by the time they were being figure out how to kind of distribute by the end of this regular season, like they had kind of, kind of found a hit a stride when the postseason came around and crisis hit they just reverted back to their old ways mm-hmm. um and that's who that team was this entire year was a team at the end of the day when push came to shove they kind of gave up and didn't sacrifice for each other and like that that manifested itself in the last game of the season for them tell me what are we going to be talking about in the nba tomorrow morning is it going to be the the lottery or what what's What's your best? Per- I mean, you can be wrong. It's it's fine. You know, it's it's honestly you, anything could come out of tonight. But what do you think? Or what are we going to be talking about tomorrow morning? We're going to be talking about whether or not the team who's got the number one overall pick is going to take Zion, or whether or not they're going to trade trade Zion. So even even over, the, it's going to be more important than the playoffs. You think more than Steph versus versus Seth? Yes, because I think people are going to take it for granted that the Warriors are going to get to the finals. So <laughs> and people are always. People are always going to be fascinated. The media at large and people at large are always going to be interested in this new shiny thing, in the in the idea of potential. Like that's why people. That's why I've always loved prospects in baseball. Uh, that's why I've always loved the NBA draft. That's why people love the NFL draft. The idea of the unknown and that you can find a superstar wherever. You know, mm-hmm. um, people are always going to be fascinated with the new shiny thing that we don't know whether or not how he how he stacks up to the NBA. Versus the thing that's right in front of us, um, so I think it's going to be Zion no matter what. <laughs> so before before we let you go, I mean we we have to talk about your 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 focus, which is which is baseball. So the number one thing that I mean we haven't really heard about heard a lot about them in in recent weeks, but free agents Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel, so they're still unsigned, and they they have a certain belief of where you know, they value themselves and how much they think that they're worth. But when it gets to this point, I mean, you look at, I mean, we could switch sports over here. Le'Veon Bell sat out for a year and he signed for less than what the Steelers were offering him in a long-term deal. Do you think that there's any benefit to Kimbrell and Keuchel for, for sitting out or, you know, and, and do they, do they sign on a team? Well, I think it depends on how you want to look at the situation because, from you know, we can we can talk about whether or not Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell should be waiting out and whether they should sign or not, or we could be talking about kind of the, the bigger systemic issue, which is that you know the, these guys have draft pick compensation uh, tied to them that is preventing teams from signing them because they they value younger younger guys under team control more than they value kind of second top second tier but still top tier free agents, mm-hmm. you know so. 
Craig Kimball's a great closer. He's one of the great. He's he is probably the greatest closer of his generation. He's looking for a contract that is, you know, worthy of the status of the greatest closer of his generation. From all the reports have indicated. Um, at the same time, he's tied to a first round draft pick, and very few teams are going to be willing to give up a first round draft pick to sign a back end reliever in 2019. And so part of it is on the collective bargaining agreement negotiated between the players and the and the owners to protect these players better, kind of these middle-class players who are starting to be phased out in favor of bringing up guys younger and younger and kind of minimizing the team salary uh, and maximizing your ability to sign big free agents versus signing a lot of these middle, you know, not n- people who aren't in the class of Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, mm. but people who are, uh, who are like Dallas Keuchel, who aren't necessarily as flashy big names, people like Craig Kimbrell, who aren't in a super glamorous, you know, corner corner outfield position or corner infield position, um, guys who uh, who are starting to kind of be phased out of the game from a from a money standpoint, not because they aren't good enough, it's because the the money that they're worth isn't worth it for teams to give out that money for a pick. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's what the problem is at the end of the day. It's not whether or not Craig Kimbrell or 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 uh, or Dallas Keuchel should sign. Um, and, and kind of stand up for what they're worth. It's kind of about this bigger systemic issue that is that is a looming threat to any player who is starting to reach that arbitration state and figuring out whether or not they want to sign with their current team or whether or not they want to test free agency. Yeah, and I mean the way that the way that it works in the MLB is unlike pretty much any other league that I can think of. You know, having six years of team control and then 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 being able to be a free agent and sign uh, for big money. Do you, do you think that they, they do sign? I mean, I know you, you talked about teams aren't really willing to, to give up draft picks for, you know, for signing them, but do they, do they find a team this year, or are they going to have to wait out? Uh, well, you know, at least for Kim, I, for once, uh, once the trade deadline hits, they're going to be able to sign without draft pick conversation, uh, compensation, or after the draft, sorry. So I believe that's um, uh, July 1st or somewhere in July. I, I don't know the date off the top of my head, but... Uh, once once the draft hits, uh, they'll be able to sign without any conversation. So people are expecting, at least for Kimbrel, for him to wait out uh, and then maybe sign on with the team for a playoffs on with a for a prorated amount of money, similar to like how Roger Clemens came back in the mid two thousands when he was forty two or whatever and signed a prorated twenty one million dollar deal that you know lasted for a third of the season. So that's why I think people are expecting to happening to happen with 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 those guys is, is waiting out for the draft. So the compensation goes away, uh, goes away, and then you know, hoping to to maximize that opportunity to sign a better deal next offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Monday Monday June third is uh, the 2019 MLB draft, so so we'll be looking for for them to sign during that time or after that time. But before I let you go, one last thing, and this is a question that I mean we could spend another hour on. It's no it's no secret that the MLB's popularity has been dwindling in recent years. In an article released by USA Today, they said that there was a massive drop in 2019, and so far through March and April, uh, half of the MLB have seen an even steeper drop from last year's lower numbers. Is there is there any anything that you know the MLB can do? They've obviously talked about rule changes and and trying to fix things up. Is there anything that the MLB can do to to fix this problem, or is it just a changing of the tide? The way that you know public opinion is, is shifting well i part of it is the public opinion how kind of base it is a re- direct result of how baseball has marketed itself 
over the last 10 years already. And, you know, part of it is just the, the part of the battle is like it, it, you know, it was lost 10 years ago. Um, kind of where we are now is I think players are in a position where the league is really encouraging guys to speak up and show their personality on the field. And so you see a guy like Clint Frazier for the Yankees customizing sneakers uh, into cleats and wearing them and posting them on Instagram every single day. And that's become kind of like an event on Instagram for Yankee fans on a day-to-day basis to see what sneaker cleats Clint Frazier is wearing. Um, and I think you just kind of see more and more guys showing their personality. But there's also, you know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg problem. Um, how much is it that guys aren't willing to put in energy to put themselves out there as public figures, as baseball players? Um, and how much is it on the media to kind of get to know these guys on a deeper level in a similar way that we know NBA guys on a deeper level? Um, and how they're just kind of storylines on a, on a day-to-day, on a week-to-week, on a day-to-day basis um, because we know these guys and, and who they are with the media and, and we've read profiles of them. Why isn't that happening for baseball? Um, and I, I think that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of one of the, the biggest looming issues is like, even with the big stars that have personalities, there's not an opportunity for a lot of fans to get to know them on a deeper, deeper level. Um, part of that is baseball isn't generating the same traffic or the revenue, ad revenue for, for media brands as it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also just kind of the changing media landscape as well. And so it's kind of a multitude of things. Um, you know, you kind of can't really point to one thing because it's there's problems on every single end, whether it's on baseball's ends or the way media coverage is done of baseball. Um, and just, you know, the general public perception of what baseball is. Uh, there's a multitude of problems on so many different fronts that look, one solution isn't going to fix everything. Like, just because the, the games are shorter, that's not just going to bring in people. They want People want to, at the end of the day, people like sports because of the stories that come out of it. You know, mm. people are following the Warriors because they're the dynasty that can't be toppled. And people want Kevin Durant to go to a different team because of the story and the drama that that creates. That's what people want sports to be. Um, and uh, baseball is just is not as a sport is just not done a great job of generating those kind of storylines and generating that kind of level of public and fan interest in the sport the way that it used to. Do you think Do you think they recover, or is it Is it Are we just going to watch it slowly fade out as a as a, a sport? We'll see. I don't have an answer to that. I mean, it's uh, it's you know. I, I feel a certain amount of responsibility as a baseball writer to cover the game in a way that is accurate and factual, but also like I, I'm also a baseball fan and I want to make sure that like this, this game exists in a similar capacity that it did for when I grew up watching and that helped me fall in love with sports. Um, I think people in sports, a lot of people in sports, sports kind of feel that the desire to, you know, just hope, hope that the, Hope that the game is in a better place from their vantage point, um, in one form or another. That impetus falls on the players. It falls. It falls on everybody who cares about the sport. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe the sport will make a turnaround. Maybe it doesn't. But it's. 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 It's not going to be the result of just I don't one. Know. Just I, one I, change. Yeah, it's not just going to be one change. It has to be a lot of things working together. Well, on. I mean, on that chipper note, I think we're gonna. We're gonna call it here on the episode, June. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, do you want to yeah. you want to plug yourself, social media? Where can we find you on Instagram, Twitter? Sure, at Twitter I'm at June Lee J O O N L E E, and I'm on Instagram at June J O O N. All right, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. It was really great to to sit down and talk sports with you. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. 
Guys, you can also find all of our episodes on our website, www.notgonnalipod.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.